Welcome to Alchemy, the home of the open mind. Thank you very much for tuning in. We're back after an extended break, and we're back thanks to one particular individual who I won't name on air, but has been very, very generous and has allowed me to get things back up and running again. So here we are, ready for action. Alchemy, Alchemy, Alchemy. Today's guest is Wayne McCroy. Wayne is the author of two books titled The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret, and The Alchemical Tech Revolution, Fulfilling Ancient Esoteric Agendas Through the Use of High Technology. Wayne has a wonderful way of articulating how his personal experiences and his research dovetail wonderfully in a way that we don't often see. I'm very excited to chat to him. So for the first time on Alchemy, Wayne McCroy, you're very welcome. How are things? Doing well, John. How about yourself? Uh, really good, yeah. We could say all the usual bits and pieces about coronavirus this, coronavirus that, and I'm sure we'll get to it at some point in the conversation. But putting that aside, I'm in great form and feeling quite creative this week, which is always a good thing. Oh, absolutely, that is. It's always good to have that uh, creative edge going on at any particular time. Exactly. So, listen, I have a question that I ask every new guest on the show, Wayne, and you're no exception. It's quite an open-ended, broad question, so answer it as you will. But how did you get from where you were to where you are now? Oh, man, it's a <laughs> long story. It was a long road to get here. Uh, Let's, uh, let's put it this way. I, I'm just a regular guy working like a regular job, doing my normal thing, just raising a family, going about my business. And uh, at uh, one point back in 2006, I had an encounter with a UFO that sent me searching uh, down different rabbit holes. And uh, that's kind of the, the thing that started me uh, on the path that I'm on. At that point, now as a child, I'd always had interest in like the paranormal and occult type things, but uh, you know, it's it's one of those things I kind of fell away from as I got older. And when I met my wife, I became a born again Christian. So uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff kind of went to the wayside and lost interest in it for a long time. And then I had this UFO encounter in 2006, and that kind of uh, you know sent me searching. And that's where I initially started looking at things is in the field of ufology and uh, you know UFO reports and things like that. And it's amazing, amazing. It's still to this day it, it astounds me just where those different rabbit trails always lead uh, to these different esoteric ideas and things. And that's kind of how I got started where I am. So. Uh, I like to tell people I accidentally became an expert in occult philosophy because of that. So <laughs> it's one of those things I had never intended to go down that road. But, uh, you know, that's just where the trail led. And, you know, anybody who spends any amount of time researching these things will tell you it always, always points back to the ancient mystery schools and, uh, you know, the, the teachings thereof of the secret societies that were traveling forward into the present day today all the way up to modern times. So this is where the foundation of things usually lies. But that's kind of how I got to where I am right now is it started with that UFO incident. And then uh, I had another incident happen a couple of years later. 
uh, when my uh, son had a reaction to a vaccine and uh, he later developed autism. And that sent me searching uh, completely down a different set of roads that still eventually led back to the same thing where the UFO field led me. So it's amazing how all these things kind of interconnect at the topmost circles of it. Yeah, and we will get to that as the conversation progresses, how they, they kind of dovetail. And they do, as you say, always dovetail if one is willing to explore down the rabbit hole deep enough. Um, just to go back to your UFO encounter, what was that like or what was the experience, Wayne? Well, I was driving home from my mother's house and uh, we were driving over the mountain because uh, to get to my mother's house at the time where she lived from where I was, we had to drive over the mountain over this mountain Mm -hmm. so we were almost it was myself and my oldest son was with me he was probably about 12 or 13 at the time and uh, we were on my on our way home from my mother's house so we were driving up the mountain and as we were coming up to the top of the mountain uh, we saw this this weird square-shaped object probably about 30 or 40 feet above the treetops and it was moving very slow and it had a white light on each corner and a big red light in the center and it was square-shaped, and it was clearly a metallic craft, and neither of us had ever seen anything like it. So I pulled over to the side of the road because the car I had at that time had a power moonroof. So we opened up the moonroof and watched it pass right over the top of us and slowly drift off behind the trees, and neither of us could really tell for sure what it was, but you know, it was definitely square-shaped. It was definitely a metallic craft, and it had these weird light configurations on it. So that's what kind of renewed my interest in the UFO subject and and really started getting me going, uh, researching a lot of these different things. I can imagine it would have that effect. And was it in any way kind of scary an experience or what was like the the sense that you had when it was ongoing? Because it wasn't just a flash in the pan thing that flew past you. This is a, a properly absorbed experience, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it was, it was very surreal. It wasn't really scary per se. Uh, it just it was very surreal. It seemed like this this can't be happening. It, it was just one of those things. But, uh, you know, we watched it happen and it all happened in the, the space of about three to four minutes. And that was it. And then we just continued on our way home, got home, told my wife about it. And she was incredulous. And, you know, it's, you know, just one of those things. The rest is history. You tell people about a UFO sighting or something, they, they just slough it off and think nothing of it. Mm. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fascinating. I have never had one myself, um, and I know one or two people from home who have, but nothing as kind of defined as what you have had. So, I I mean, if that doesn't send someone down a rabbit hole, nothing will. Oh, absolutely. But uh, looking back on it now, uh, from the things that I know now, from, from my research I've done, uh, I would say at this point that it was probably something man-made and something to, akin to a surveillance platform. That's what my thoughts are on the whole thing right now. Well, that's really interesting because I was going to ask you that. Like, did you think it was extraterrestrial or off-world or human in origin? You, you've answered that, and I suppose it leads into the work that you've done regarding um, the books you've written. And the alchemical tech revolution is absolutely fascinating for anybody who might be interested in joining some alchemical dots and to where all of this might lead. So how did you get from the UFO to the book, The Alchemical Tech Revolution? And then we'll talk about what's contained in the pages of the book. Okay, well, from that point, uh, like I said, this started started me searching down uh, 
the ufology field, first of all, and and down the whole UFO rabbit hole. So once I started thoroughly uh, delving into that research, it branched off in a bunch of different directions, and I started looking at more esoteric things, and uh, I started looking back at Hermeticism, secret societies, and uh, all the different connections there because, uh, like we've said, uh, leading up into this, once you start looking down any one of these rabbit holes – they all interconnect, and and that's kind of where I got to. Uh, once I started really delving into the UFO thing, uh, it, I found out that it ties into secret societies. So then I started researching secret societies, and once I started doing that, I see it's all occult, it's all esoteric, and it all ties back to ancient Babylon or the mystery schools of ancient times. Mm-hmm. It goes back to Egypt and before. Uh, you could trace this stuff all the way back through human history. And see that a lot of these ideas that are being put forth within the ufology field are echoes of these esoteric ideas from the mystery schools of the past. Mm-hmm. And that that must have been a real eye opener at the time then as well to, to to kind of look at ancient history and we don't really know how ancient and to see it kind of mirrored in the modern age. And is that what led to your interest then in transhumanism and that so-called movement? Well, yeah, once I started connecting the dots and and looking down these uh, different pathways, uh, you could see how transhumanism ties back to some of the ancient uh, esoteric ideas of, say, uh, the Great Work or the Philosopher's Stone, these type of ideas. So it all all kind of merges together today uh, with the use of modern technology. And that's kind of the premise uh, that I had when I was writing this book, The Alchemical Tech Revolution. This is what it's all about. It's bringing forward these esoteric hermetic ideas into the modern age and using high technologies to bring into fruition the great work that they speak of or, you know, this philosopher's stone. And the whole idea behind that is they're looking to achieve a couple things through this. And Number one, immortality. They see that as being possible through uh, the advent of transhumanist technologies. And number two would be absolute godlike control. They want to become God in no uncertain terms. That's that's what this is all about. And these ideas have been tra- you know pushed forward through the mystery schools, through all these different uh, secret societies up into modern times here. And and these are the ideas that this stuff is based on. And uh, this is kind of like. Uh, the way that our modern quote-unquote science took a hold of these ideas mm-hmm. and is looking to bring them into fruition through that uh, philosophy per se. Because I, I, I view science as a type of philosophy at this point because it's it's more of a – I prefer to describe it more as scientism yeah. than science at this point because it's really – the whole idea has kind of been hijacked and pushed forward as a, a faith-based initiative more so than – a science-based initiative. So this this is where your mainstream science comes in. And do you think then to look at, say, science versus scientism, the type of technology that's being alchemized for whatever end, and we'll discuss that in due course, do you think that science, true science, is being used by the powers that be or the powers that shouldn't be versus scientism, which is being fed the general mainstream. And is that the distinction that you draw? Do you think that the true knowledge is being withheld and we're being fed or sold a pup then, in a sense, that being scientism and the kind of faith-based, almost religious fervor that so many people seem to hold so-called science in at the moment? 
Absolutely. That's that's a perfect description of it. Uh, the the uh, people who control this world and run this world right now, they uh, pursue different avenues of science than, than what is pushed in the mainstream. This is a different form of science they look at. They, they look more at uh, what we would call natural sciences or alchemical sciences uh, for use in, in making systems and controlling systems rather than the things that they push forward in the mainstream as quote unquote science. Mm. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely underground currents there of uh, different scientific research going on. And a lot of this is kept secret through uh, what would be known as black budget programs or uh, uh, special access programs, compartmentalized programs that go on uh, through the auspice of corporation under government subcontract. And these, this is all, kept relatively secret. These are your black sciences and black technologies being developed. And there's many different corporations that do this. Uh, a notable one being somewhere like Lockheed. This is this is one that you could point to and say, you know, here's a company that has done this kind of thing uh, from as far back as we could look through government subcontracting and stuff. And these people are very good at keeping secrets, despite what people would say. A lot of people would claim that there's no way in this day and age to keep a secret for that long, but uh, I would beg to differ. Yeah, and I think compartmentalization is really one of the keys to that. I mean, people talk about, say, the moon landings or whatever. How could they possibly keep a secret like that? But I'd see it even on a local level um, in the town where I live in Ireland. There is a huge vaccine plant. I know quite a lot of people who work in there, yet not a single one of them can tell me what they're working on at any given time. By their own admission, they're working on just one small compartment of the overall project, but they never know what the overall project is. And I mean, this is a place that employs well over a thousand people. So it's a piece of cake, really, provided some of the rules which have been created for the game, with all of us being pawns therein, being invented by these people, you know, so or whatever entities they are. So do you think compartmentalization is a big factor in keeping things under wraps, per se? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, compartmentalization is a, a key factor to it. Uh, also, uh, what they have many of these people working on these projects and stuff do is sign what they call a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. Wherein if they if they violate this non-disclosure agreement, uh, they give up things like their pension, their paycheck. They could face jail time, uh, you know, things like that. So especially if you're working for a government program, they could uh, really <laughs> screw you big time with that. They could lock you up for 20 years, take away your pension. Uh, you have no job. You know, it, it's one of those things. So a lot of people will just go along to get along with this stuff. Yeah. So in terms of the technologies then, Wayne, um, are the alchemical technologies that are kind of being used to control or to advance the transhumanist agenda. Um, can you tell us about some of them or what are the more important ones to note? Okay. Uh, the most important uh, of these uh, te technological uh, branches that people could look at is something called cybernetics. Okay. So I'll just go ahead and briefly describe what cybernetics is for people who don't know. Because when you hear the word cybernetics, you largely think of something like robotics and, and things like that. And that's part of it. Yeah. But that's only a, a very uh, small portion of what cybernetics really is. Cybernetics is the uh, science of control, whole systems control. And this is how uh, these people in positions of power look at things. They look at things from a holistic systems perspective. So when they use this uh, branch of science, uh, 
to do whatever work they're doing. They look at systems as a whole, whereas in our public school systems and stuff, we're taught how to break things down into different categories or different uh, subjects or compartmentalizations, and there's yeah. compartmentalization at work there again. So when you go to school, you have science class, you have uh, math class, you have social studies or history class, whatever, and all these things don't really overlap in any meaningful way. And they're broke down into small periods. So this gets your mind thinking in terms of fragments, okay, or fragmentary things. Yeah. More so than what the cyberneticists do is they look at the whole system and they figure out how to steer and control the whole system by looking at it as a whole system. And this is a uh, something that's that's lost on our modern society and, and what we call science right now, which I call scientism, because everything, there's a specialization for everything. Okay, mm -hmm. like especially within science, like if you go to school, you could go to school, go to college or university for, say, physics or microbiology, or you could go for, you know, be a doctor or medical, all these different things, all these different subcategories of science. Yeah. And you, you specialize. And that's not how cybernetics works. Cybernetics takes all of this into account and uh, – and uses the holistic approach to these things in order to establish control of a system. So uh, when they start looking at this stuff and looking at like human biology per se, if they look at it from a holistic systems approach or the cybernetics approach, they could figure out what overall uh, causes disruptions in your body or, or how, how things work. And they base this upon something called homeostasis, mm -hmm. whereas it, uh, a system will, will tend to try and find a way to self-regulate itself to maintain a certain set of parameters. And that's how the human body and the human mind work. And uh, the cybernetics group that was uh, formed back in the early 1940s discovered this very early on by looking at the works of a guy named Walter Cannon who wrote a paper in 1929 about this concept of homeostasis. Now, this, this concept had been around before, but it was called Malou Interior, if I'm pronouncing that right, was a, a, a French scientist who came up with this idea back in the 1800s. So uh, Walter Cannon brought this forward into more modern times in 1929, and he wrote this paper and uh, developed the theory that the human body is a homeostatic mechanism meaning that it maintains homeostasis, and this is how the body systems work. So the cyberneticists latched onto this idea and were able to figure out certain things about the human body and how to create changes in the human body for the purpose of control. When you talk about homeostasis, would alternative technologies that may have been used to promote health that would be, I suppose, more commonly known as quack science now or quackery that seem to really work? So some of the Tesla technology that may have been used, uh, violet ray therapy, stuff like that, that is considered to be totally ridiculous now. Would that be an example of the principle of homeostasis being used for a positive end? It could be. I mean, it depends specifically about what you're talking about, uh, like like things like uh, Royal Rife, yeah. uh, things like that, those type of technologies. Yeah, that could be considered in uh, good use uh, of this type of idea. OK, so, I mean, when you're looking at it from the holistic perspective, yeah, this is something that's very possible that it could be effective. But if you break it down and, and try to look at it through the subcompartmentalized view of our modern day science, they say that's ridiculous because, 
you know, that because of A, B, and C, this doesn't, this is, this is quackery. This is nonsense. Then they'll say that about it because uh, it doesn't line up with the paradigm that they're pushing, that, or that mainstream science has presented to the people as a whole. And uh, I could tell you, one of the major problems we have right now with the mainstream science narrative of things is our science, or what I call scientism, focuses primarily on a, uh, a philosophy called atomism. Now, if you're not familiar with what atomism is, this is basically an ancient philosophy. You can trace all the way back to ancient Greece, and, or, and probably before then even, where they came up with the idea that everything's made up of, of atoms or, you know, your basic primary particles, yeah. okay? So based upon this idea, uh, all of our sciences today are based upon that. So even things like germ theory, this is all based on atomism, all of these things. So all of our modern science is based on this atomistic principle rather than the holistic principle, and that's kind of where we have a disconnect here. Because the cyberneticists look at things from the whole system perspective, and they actually have better real-world controls and experiments that they could use with this cybernetics approach to things than by looking at it from the atomistic philosophy. And that's where, like I said, we have this, this disconnect in modern times because they look at everything. All of our sciences now are based upon this atomistic principle. You have things like quantum science where they're trying to find smaller and smaller and smaller basic particles. They equate everything to particles. Yeah. Same thing with germ theory. They're equating illness to a particle. That's, that's what this is about. And uh, it's been my experience that there are people at the top of the power structure in things like science who have a different understanding of how these things really work. And it, it's not based upon this uh, atomistic approach to things, things like especially in physics, rather than say, you know, we have all these different quantum particles and this, you know, makes this or that happen. This like they were talking about that Higgs boson, the God particle, they yeah. call it. Well, you know, this is not a, re a real thing in my view. It is not a real thing in my view. So uh, when you actually look at it, that's an atomistic philosophy, and that's what our science is based on, an atomistic philosophy that is in direct opposition to what we would call the ether in physics right now. Yeah. And uh, I know for a fact that in secret programs, uh, in aerospace contracting and places like that, they actually know about the ether and factor the ether into some of the technologies and stuff they're working on. So this is not an unknown thing, and this is just one one field of thought people could look at for this. So, you know, when you think in terms of the big picture rather than the little picture, which is brought to us via the philosophy of atomism, which has permeated all forms of our science right now, and uh, that's not to say basic particles don't necessarily exist. They do. But this is not how things happen. Things don't happen from the, the miniature particle on up. They happen from the big picture on down. That's why the expression in hermet hermeticism goes as above, so below, yeah. not as below, so above. That's why it's always let off as as above, so below, because it's always the bigger picture is reflected in the smaller picture rather than the other way around. And this is just one facet of things where uh, the science approach is kind of – uh, inverting our reality, which is also part of the whole uh, plan here that goes along with the transhumanist thing. They're creating a total inversion of how natural law works, and they 
are trying to bring about a totally artificial system in place of the natural system that's already in place. And that's the thing, because the big changes that we're seeing now and at a very rapid rate, particularly in the last year or two, do seem to be a complete inversion of nature. It's almost like get as far away from the natural world, which is where we should be embedded as possible. We could list so many things, but it's almost like the atmosphere is being terraformed to prepare for an artificial reality. And that's where the control comes in, isn't it, Wayne? Because if you can create an artificial reality or some kind of an atmosphere whereby beings of nature can't properly exist without the help of something artificial... Well, then you've got that control, don't you? And that's what it's all about. That's why they want to create a total artificial system. Because when it comes down to it, they they can't control the natural system. See, nature has a tendency to tend towards what they call entropy, uh, where things tend towards chaos. Everything breaks down over time. So uh, if they're going to build an artificial system, it's constant work to maintain that. Mm-hmm. So that that's something where they're going to have to devote an awful lot of energy to try to keep this thing going. And you can see that. And that's why they push so hard, especially within the past couple of years now and on up with the things that they're doing today. This is the reason they're pushing so hard. They're trying to get this thing snapped into place as quickly as they can and maintain it. But uh, I'm here to tell you, it's not going to last even if they do manage to pull off the things they want to pull off, it's not going to last. Uh, the, the natural order will not allow it because that's just the nature of things. So uh, when it comes down to it, if they want to build this artificial system that they're totally in control of, it exists within this natural realm that we're in. So even though they create this artificial system that they could control and manipulate however they want, it's still subject to those natural laws or alchemical laws. And the people in charge of these things are very aware of this. And that's why they still have to skirt around and do things a certain way mm. because they, they are very aware, much more aware than you and I, of these natural laws or alchemical laws. These things go way back, like I said, to the mystery school days and, and even times before that, before written records were around. Uh, ancient man was a lot smarter than we give him credit for. Oh, I think there's no doubt about that. And I get the sense that maybe you're hinting at revelation of the method there. Would would I be correct in that? If not, we can talk about it anyway. But um, that that being a situation whereby some somebody almost has to give advance warning of something that's going to happen um, to seemingly elicit some form of tacit consent or something like that. Are you kind of getting at that at all? Oh, definitely. That's, that's definitely something that... Uh they are aware of. Uh, Within the natural order of things, or natural law, if you will, there is this concept of free will, okay? Mm. So in order to usurp your free will and to do something to you or allow something to happen, they have this sort of karmic principle that they abide by, that they have to abide by, because if they don't, there will be blowback for that, and they're well aware of this. So they've they've kind of worked out a couple of ways to do a workaround with this. So that's what they do. That's why they have this thing that we call revelation of the method. Um, in conspiracy research circles, they call this predictive programming. That's why when you turn on The Simpsons, You'll see what's going to happen two years from now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it, it – and people have noticed this and by and large. And uh, once the revelation is hit and you realize that's, that's what that was, this is in order to make you aware 
of what their plans are. So they, they do this. And this is why books like uh, Brave New World in 1984 and all these things have been written because these men who wrote these books and stuff, they were within the, power, the, the circles of power. Mm-hmm. So they knew what the plan was and they were just telling people this is what the plan is. So it's out there and, you know, it's there for people to see. So if you see this plan and don't outright object to it, that's viewed at, metaphysically as your consent to these people that are, are running these things. So that's why they do this. So they put it out there and they kind of skirt around this whole karmic principle that way by making you aware of what they're going to do. And if you don't outright object to that and just accept it, then they go ahead and they do it and they consider that your consent. And I like to call this uh, this concept metaphysical consent. That's my term for it. That's a really good term, actually. And it's always interesting because uh, if somebody looks at, say, an artificial or man-made legal system, such as we have, where we've all these rules that are being increased by the thousand on an almost daily basis, and everybody grows up with them and is used to them now at this stage. But that, again, mirrors that concept. If you don't object to, let's say somebody takes a legal case against you and you ignore it, well, there's going to be some sort of summary judgment against you and there will be real world repercussions or ramifications for your ignorance of whatever it was you were made aware of, that being the serving of a summons or whatever. But on a much, again, a much more um, a meta level, that's what you're talking about. This is just another artificial system, a microcosm of what's actually happening in nature, albeit it's been hijacked and an, an artificial purpose been applied to it within that man-made legal system. Absolutely. That's a perfect description of it. And we can see this going on in the world around us right now. How many people are willingly locked in their own homes right now? Yeah. Case in point. And this is how they do it. They tell you, oh, it's for your own good. Uh, it's, you know, so you don't get your grandmother sick and kill your grandmother with this deadly disease and, and all of this stuff. And people are eating it right up and they're being obedient to it. So if you coalesce to what the system wants... That's your consent. You've given them your, their, your metaphysical consent to rule over you with an iron fist right now. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. But uh, this does create a lot of other problems now, too, which uh, if you look under the surface, you can see there's there's something more going on here than a quote-unquote pandemic, which may or may not exist, by the way. Uh, so it, it's it's one of those things where – they're using this whatever your thoughts are on this whole thing going on right now it's being used for another agenda and another purpose altogether and it seems at times almost like it's a combination of several different things all coming to a head at once be some of them opportunistic or completely by design i don't know but it does seem like there's so much i mean take for example cashless society it suddenly seems like that's just moments away now rather than being years in the future for example because people are quite literally I see on a first hand basis afraid of paper money now so as you say, you said earlier everything is just kind of quickening and ramping up at the moment and I think this uh, the so called COVID-19 crisis or whatever people want to call it is a very good example of that and I know there are people listening now and they're thinking lads what are you talking about such and such a person got really sick with this or whatever and far be it from me to say what is going on regarding viruses or germ theory which is still only a theory by the way I mean we can get onto that word in a second Wayne perhaps but there are so many people out there who aren't having a voice in the mainstream I mean I've recently heard quite a number of interviews um, you'll obviously be aware of him as well Dr. Andrew Kaufman who does a fantastic breakdown 
of what is really going on regarding this coronavirus and what viruses may be or may not be and how we can have wholesale and wide-scale manipulation of a populace for nefarious means through what could ultimately turn out to be a complete boogeyman. But most people are only going to find that out when it's far too late, I think. Right. And I agree. And I could tell you, uh, go ahead, look at Dr. Kaufman's work. It's, it's very, very thorough. And uh, he's correct. And now there's, there's a group that came forward that uh, offered a $2 million bounty in gold for anybody that could prove, first of all, that coronavirus is a real thing, a real virus. And second of all, that it could make anybody sick. This has never been done before with a, a virus ever. Hmm. Viruses have never, ever been proven scientifically to cause disease, let alone, you know, even to to exist in the way that they tell us. So it's kind of a misnomer that this could possibly be something going on when you think about it. So the, uh, the trigger mechanisms that cause disease are still unknown. Now, germ theory is probably our most probable theory we have right now of how things work. But once again, this is based on that atomistic principle. Yeah. And uh, it could also be argued that uh, microbes, such as uh, the strep virus, streptococcus, mm -hmm. uh, exist in your body all the time, yet you don't always have strep throat. So it's not necessarily this that's the, the factor in making you sick. Same thing could be said for viruses. And Dr. Kaufman actually argues that this uh, COVID-19 virus isn't really a virus at all. All it is is something called an exosome. And I would recommend, highly recommend people go and check out Dr. Kaufman's work on this because it's very eye-opening and it could be telling. Now, here's the other thing, though. Even if you accept germ theory, how it's presented to us, and that this is a real virus or something going around, okay, there's a gentleman named uh, Newt Witkowski. All right, he's a retired epidemiologist, worked for Rockefeller University for 35 years. This is what he did for a living, and he's telling us that the way that the CDC and the World Health Organization are handling this is all wrong. And his argument for that is being this. Now, he's saying they should have never shut down the schools because what this does is it, it isolates people from the rest of society and prevents herd immunity from happening to this virus. Mm. So even if you agree with the mainstream view of this, it's being handled all wrong. And he says that the, it could be disastrous doing things this way. His argument is they should never shut the schools down. They should send the kids to school because this will be the quickest way to get the virus spread through the population at large to build up the herd immunity to it and cause it to go away quicker. And what they're doing is the complete opposite. They're locking people in their houses and preventing them from having social contact. So even if you agree with the mainstream view of this, it's totally wrong how it's being handled. So that tells me there's another agenda at play. Not only that, there's zero, absolutely zero real world evidence that social distancing prevents the spread of disease in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. All the things that they've done to show this are just computer models. That's all. There's never been any epidemiological studies done in the real world that support social distancing as a factor for reducing the spread of disease. So when you look at those two things alone, you could see this is fraudulent on the face of it. It's an absolute fraud from top to bottom, guys. And whether you view it in the, the mainstream science way or not, this is what's going on. And it relies again on faith, doesn't it? 
Absolutely. This is the whole thing. This is not based on science. There's no scientific evidence whatsoever that uh, this is, is going on. And if you go out and look at the hospitals and stuff in your community, I don't know how it is where you are, but uh, all over the, the states here, I see people posting videos all the time. These citizen journalists, they go out to their local hospitals and are filming their hospitals and there's like no activity there. Whereas on the mainstream news, you're seeing it's a war zone and they're showing pictures of a, a, a hospital in Italy and claiming it's New York. And CBS got caught doing that yeah, and got called that. out on it and had to admit to that. So if they're pushing this kind of fraud like, and they're, they're admitting it, why do you believe what you see on your television? You can't. It's the greatest mind control tool ever invented. So when you look at things from this point of view, this is a fraud from top to bottom. Whether it's a real thing or not, what they're doing with it is fraudulent. Yeah, and even even to look at the way figures are being massaged, and it, it's almost like certainly in the UK and Ireland, where there would be on a weekly basis whatever number of deaths due to the likes of pneumonia or influenza. These deaths seem to have just disappeared overnight and everything is being attributed to coronavirus now or COVID-19. That's telling in itself because some of the hysteria that I'm seeing on a daily basis is completely irrational and it's based on, you know, the, the boogeyman hiding under the bed type thing and what, what people are being told rather than what they're seeing themselves. And as time has gone on over the last kind of two to three weeks since the advice has come in from the government and people are, I suppose, volunteering to give up their freedoms and remain under house arrest, is that people are becoming more and more extreme and that they're starting to shame others who might not be as extreme in their faith in the mainstream, for example. I've seen several people fall out with good friends over whether they believe it's a real thing or not, or whether they were two metres apart and social distancing or, or whatever. Stuff that if somebody had said this to me three or four weeks ago, that that would happen so quickly, I would have said no. And I'd like to think of myself as being quite clued into what's going on around the world. But I would have said, no, that's way too fast. I don't think that humanity is that far descended yet. But I'm seeing something else completely on the ground. It's quite, it's actually quite disheartening in a sense, because I thought there were more people who were able to view things with a critical mind or from a kind of a balanced point of view and discern information for themselves. I'm starting to see quite the opposite, to be frank. Is that the same for you, Wayne? There's a lot of cognitive dissonance out there, and that's what this all boils down to. But I think the longer this goes on, the more people are realizing this is going on, mm. that, that this is all a fraud. It's all a put up, all of it. And uh, I see people waking up to the idea left and right now. So, I mean, it's it's something – now you have people home. They have more time to look on the internet at these things, and it's, it's always – it's at the – the top of the search returns on the internet it's all over the tv every time you turn on a television or or the radio that's all they're talking about on there yeah and you, you just gotta wonder people are starting to wonder about this because it's like the more they they look look at it the less logical the whole idea becomes like think about this okay you turn on your television have you seen all these businesses and stuff have these commercials now geared towards the covid-19 thing oh during this time of covid-19 uh, our business is open and we have the 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 best health uh, ideas for our our customers and our employees in mind and this and that yeah. have you seen these commercials yeah okay and this is during a, a shutdown where you know non-essential businesses and stuff are not supposed to be open mhm who who produced and shot this commercial, and when did they do it? Yeah, good question. Think about that for a second. 
Think about that for a second. It, it, it's all a put up. It's all a fraud. Even things on the news, you see, uh, like just the other day on, on, on our local news, there was a reporter talking to supposedly this, this woman whose mother had died from COVID-19, standing on her front porch talking to her when everybody's supposed to be in social isolation in their house. Mm. Why, why is this reporter down there? Like standing like three feet from this person when they're supposed to be social distancing and, you know, this person was supposedly quarantined because they were in contact with their mother and wasn't supposed to be out because they, they might be a potential person to spread this. But but there's the news reporter there talking to them on their front porch. No protective gear or anything. So it makes you wonder about these things. Is this really going on? Like, is this an actual person or is this an actor? You have to wonder these things. Well, you do have to wonder, and you say actor. I mean, we, we, we know plenty on this show about lifetime actors and the idea of that. Isn't it incredible, Wayne, how many actors and celebrities seem to have, in the very early stages, caught this virus? Oh, it is. It's astounding. Not only that, what a coincidence that they actually have a, a, a typewriter, a big, heavy, old school <laughs> typewriter that they take with them on holiday or on vacation. Yeah, with them. yeah. Everywhere they go. That's actually named Corona. That's the name of the typewriter brand. It's astounding. For and anyone who doesn't know what Wayne is talking about, check out Tom Hanks's social media feeds and <laughs> prepare for your mind to be blown. Yeah, Tom Hanks, who signs his name Hanks with an X on the end instead of the KS, how it's supposed to be actually spelled. Mm. There's a reason for that, too, the X being a symbol for Saturn. So, uh, you know, it, it's always it, – uh, there's always an occult tie to all this, too. But, uh, yeah, the whole thing with his typewriter and stuff, the Corona typewriter that he showed a picture of on Instagram or whatever it was or mm. Twitter or wherever it was he was posting and talked about, uh, you know, how his wife beat him in six games of uh, rummy or something and was ahead by 201. <laughs> yeah, clearly citing the Event 201 thing that happened in New York on October 18th. That's that's another place to look, guys. And this is kind of how uh, I, I will present the case from an esoteric uh, standpoint that this was a planned thing and uh, it's being invoked uh, using the power of alchemical science to do so or uh, some of these natural science ideas. Here's what happened, okay? October 18th, 2019, New York City, Johns Hopkins University. They hosted an event called Event 201. If people aren't aware of this, go look this up where the exact scenario of this event, this event was a a, a, a game, okay? It was a, a gamed-out scenario for a coronavirus, you know, pandemic. Yeah. It, they had this, they, like, they even had stuffed toys made to commemorate the event. And this was hosted by Johns Hopkins University and funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, coincidence there, and the World Economic Forum, and had, was an invitation-only event for participants from various different corporations and governments around the world, uh, one of the most notable being Johnson & Johnson, who is supposedly one of the main ones working on a uh, vaccine for this right now. Gee, what a coincidence there too, huh? And uh, what this event uh, was is it was a simulation event of a of coronavirus, specifically by name, coronavirus pandemic. And this happened exactly 44 days before the first reported case of this COVID-19 or corona, novel coronavirus 2019. Mm -hmm. 44 days. 44 is a, uh, a very esoteric number, and it encodes death's doors. So that tells me this is the intention they have behind this whole thing, death's doors. 
they're looking to kill the economy with it. Mm-hmm. That, that's what this is more about rather than actual physical death of people through the numbers with this uh, virus or whatever it is they want to call it. This is about killing the economy worldwide. And the reason for that is to bring in a one-world digital currency. And uh, also the same people involved with this, Bill Gates in particular, also is involved in a project called ID2020, where this is about getting a digital tattoo uh, with your vaccine that will show that you've been vaccinated. So it's it's designed to, to put a microchip in you and a digital tattoo on you saying that you got this vaccine. So this is lining up with this whole coronavirus thing. And it also lines up with this whole digital world currency kind of thing too. Because when it comes down to it, eventually what they want to do is they want all of your uh, biometric information to be contained on, say, a microchip or something injected or, you know, placed within your body so that, uh, you know, you, you can't lose it. It can't be taken or stolen from you. And uh, they'll use this as the reason why. And they'll have your bank account and everything all tied to this and a social credit score and everything that's been rolled out in China. This is going on, going to go on worldwide. It's already quietly here. People aren't aware of it. It's already here. You have a social credit score in the States. They're just not public with it. Just so you people know. Uh, This is going on in the Western world right now. They have this data on you. They just haven't rolled it out publicly yet. And what they plan to do is make sure everybody's tagged so that they could track you 24-7 without your cell phone, even though they could do that right now with your cell phone. But what they're going to eventually do is it's going to go from being, you know, just your phone to being physically within your body so that you can't get off grid ever. And this is kind of what it's all about. It all ties together. And it's kind of scary stuff to look at. But people need to be aware it's going on. It's quite terrifying, and I think a lot of people will still deny it. I mean, I've, I've tried to have these conversations with people on numerous occasions. You spoke about so many people starting to actually figure out that maybe this is a put-up or a fraud. I wonder, is it going to become easier over the coming weeks and months as people see their freedoms being curtailed before their very eyes in real time to have these conversations and for people to actually realize that what seemed to be, I, I don't know, a conspiracy theory, again, for want of a better term, is actually actually real life now and isn't just the realm of communist China or somebody somewhere so far flung that we could never imagine it would ever happen to us. I mean, look at look at our Australia and where that system, the social credit system has first been trialed in Darwin, of all places. Look at the name even of where they've decided to do it. I don't think that's a coincidence. You don't get more Western or first world than Australia, do you? No, you don't. And, and that's the whole thing. And that's kind of where they're going to start rolling it out first, and they they already have. I mean, they they ported it over to Darwin, Australia. I heard it's going to Sydney sometime soon if it's not there already, mm. and then it's just going to travel to the rest of the Western world from there. So, like, this is the thing. I mean, the rollout was begun in China. That's their test bed for everything. China. Remember that, everybody. Keep your eyes on what's happening in China to know what's going to happen soon in the rest of the world. Yeah. So. You know, all you have to do is look back and see what happened in China, and uh, you could tell what's going to happen in the rest of the world. This is always their test bed for everything. So, because they, they, they could be open with it there, because the people there are used to this kind of totalitarian rule. Yeah. 
So that's the whole thing, whereas we're kind of conditioned here in the, the Western world. We think we're a democracy or a republic or whatever, but uh, when it comes down to it, we're really not. We're, we're no better off than the people of China. They just are a little more clever in rolling things out here or a little more subtle with it. Mm-hmm. There they could just do whatever because they already have the, the infrastructure in place. The control grid's there. It's coming to the rest of the world now. Yeah, and at a rate of knots. And I think as long as the bread and circuses are in place, there won't be any real problem with the uptake. I mean, I can envisage a situation whereby a vaccine is introduced and it comes as standard with, say, ID2020 and some form of digital microchipping. And I think people are absolutely going to lap it up. I mean, I see certain groups of people in Ireland who are screaming for this type of scenario. Save us from ourselves type thing, you know. Oh, yeah. We see that going on here in the States, too. There's people just begging for government to come take away our rights, begging for it. It's it's ridiculous. It's like they have, uh, you know, hotlines and stuff now you could call if you're if your neighbor's going out and it's not a necessity or something. You could call on them like this is totally un-American here. Like, first of all, mm. this is this is nothing a free society should do. So, like, you know, if they if they have this kind of a, a thing set up now. Where you could call the police on your neighbor if you suspect they're going out and it's not a necessity or something. Yeah. That's totalitarianism right there. There's no reason for this. I could understand quarantine for sick, for sick people. And that, that's what quarantine is for. It's for sick people to stay contained so they don't spread whatever disease they have. Yeah. Uh, you know, putting locking up healthy people, that's called tyranny. That's not quarantine. There's a difference. And right now we're, we're accepting it and begging for it here. And and that's what gets me. It's like I also see uh, a lot of things. The area where I'm at here, we have we're under a, a stay at home order, whereas the only things only businesses allowed to be open are, are what are deemed necessary for life businesses. So you have things like your big box retailers like Walmart and stuff that sell food that are still able to stay open. Well, there's been an uproar from the public uh, that they should actually like corn like cordon off areas of the store that don't sell food and only sell food it's like if you're going to be there anyway why not be able to purchase this other stuff i think clothing's a necessity don't you i mean things like that but we have people begging for there to be stricter restrictions on these businesses and stuff that are allowed to stay open and it's like it's coming to the point where they're going to start begging the government to shut everything down for a couple weeks so that people will actually literally be starving to death in their homes because they won't be able to get anything it's like a collectivist Stockholm syndrome almost. It's like the turkeys voting for Christmas. Yeah, pretty much. And that's exactly what's going on. They're like begging, please, somebody come in and intervene here because, you know, people won't stay home unless everything's locked down completely. And then you have a situation where you have people starving to death or, or you know what I mean, or people not yeah. getting proper medical care because they, they don't want to go anywhere because they're afraid to go out. Yeah, it's terrible. It is. It's amazing. And, and you say afraid, like fear is the big thing. I mean, if, if there is a virus, fear is the biggest virus of all. You know, it's, it's, it's really caught so many people and it's, they're in the grip of this fear all the time now and increasingly as the days go by. Right. And it's to the point where you see people doing ridiculous things that, you know, even if you believe the mainstream narrative of this, things that are not going to be helpful for this. Like they're they're suggesting now the state that I live in that when we go out, we should wear masks like, you know, but there's no masks available. 
you can't buy any because there's a shortage supposedly, but they want you to wear a mask if you go out. So if you don't have one, make a homemade one out of a handkerchief or whatever you have, even though this does absolutely nothing to curtail the spread of, of the virus. Yeah. Nothing. It does literally nothing. But people are still doing this. It's incredible. Or things like wearing gloves and then going about and touching everything you would normally touch with your bare hands anyway. <laughs> yeah. But you still have gloves on. <laughs> it's, it does nothing. Washing your hands, that makes a difference. That's logical, okay? But yeah. like wearing gloves does nothing. But people are doing this because it's a psychological thing. It's a psychological tactic. And that's that's what they, these people know human psychology very well, and they utilize it against us in in just maddening ways. Like when when you see it and you know it for what it is, and you see this going on in society around you, it, it's it's really maddening. It makes me very angry and upset at this point that people are so brainwashed into this stuff that they'll just comply because yeah. they're so fearful of this. It makes me quite sad as well because I think discernment is such an important tool that we have in our kind of conscious toolboxes and I just I'm not seeing a huge amount of that anymore it's it's like people have lost any kind of higher mind or ability to think for themselves and it's just the regurgitation of whatever diet of information they have stumbled across on any given day or in any particular lifetime almost when the seeds or the sparks are planted and people actually start to see that hang on a minute there's something strange about what's going on here maybe all isn't as it seems the cognitive dissonance then is so strong that so many people they're just not able to hold on to the view so they put down the one that's newest or the one that's least comfortable or that has perceivably caused that cognitive dissonance and they go back to the old view and it's almost like it's stronger it has a stronger hold I don't know like the curtains have been opened ever so slightly the person has had a peep through they've seen a glimpse of what's on the other side but hang on a minute it just doesn't jive with what's already in the mind or the conscious mind so we have to reject that straight away and go back to our captors, you know, that again, that Stockholm syndrome I'm talking about and worship them even more. You know, it's like I'm more invested in the opposite to what I've just had a glimpse of. Again, red pill, blue pill. There are so many different analogies and examples we could use, but it's, it's just incredible to see it on such a mass scale and all focused on one supposed happening or disaster or whatever. It's like 9-11 on steroids. Absolutely. And that's what the intention of this whole thing is. This is intended to be another big reset, much like 9-11 was used to be. Mm. So th that's where we're at right now. Uh, and, and this isn't a coincidence either. I mean, we've been looking at this stuff and predicting something big in 2020 for a long time now. Because if you look at uh, the sky clock or what people term, quote unquote, astrology, yeah. uh, astrology is a term that came about to debunk uh, there being anything to the, the timing of things and, and you know, the, the movement of the stars and things like that uh, within our reality. That, that's what the term astrology came about to do is to debunk any of that as being untrue. But uh, there's definitely something to it. But if you if you actually look, there's a star conjunction this year that the last time it happened was 2001. OK, mm -hmm. it's not a coincidence. This stuff is all very carefully timed by the controllers in power. Uh with these different things. So this is intended to be a world-changing event. And that's another thing you see. It's it's all a psychological operation, this whole thing, because they're hitting you with terms like, this is the new normal. We're all in this together, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm tired of hearing those 
because that, that's what this is. It's repetition. It's a form of mind control. This is what they're trying to, to drive home with you. They're trying to establish this as the new normal. Guys, I'm not buying the new normal. I don't want it. But uh, And the other thing, we're all in this together. How many more times are we going to hear that? And it's the similar thing as to with 9-11. Everybody was united briefly yeah. uh, against this common threat. And that this is the same kind of idea. It's it's all a put up. It's all a psychological operation when it comes down to it. So I do have a useful tool for people. Uh, when you realize this is a psychological operation, here's a useful tool, okay, that could kind of help you break the mind control spell a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whenever you hear or see the words COVID-19 or coronavirus, replace it in your head with invisible squirrels, okay? <laughs> and you'll get a sense of the nonsense that this is. So if you see that, uh, you know, uh, the the local emergency rooms are overrun with coronavirus cases, uh, you, you can see that as the, the local emergency rooms are overrun with invisible squirrel cases. Think about it. Yeah. It's the I'm, same I'm going to do that now for the next couple of days. I love it. Yeah, think about it. Like if you see it, for you'll laugh and think it's ridiculous if you could start to replace that kind of phraseology in your mind with that because – that's the net effect. See, that's the thing. It's a psychological operation. Once you realize that, that this is psychological warfare being utilized against the masses at large, then – and if you could just replace the terminology in your head with something utterly ridiculous like that and see it for what it is, it helps burn the, the spell. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. So, I mean, I hope that's helpful for some people because, like, by and large – this is what's going on. It's it's more of a psychological warfare operation than it is about public health. This was never about public health. Never. Because if it was, uh, they would have approached it in a wholly different way, much like uh, that, uh, that gentleman, Dr. Uh, Newt uh, Witkowski, had said. He worked as an epidemiologist for 35 years. He knows what he's talking about. This is an expert. OK, yeah. this is an expert. So even if you buy into the the mainstream germ theory narrative involved with this as this being what it is, we're taking the totally wrong tact on it. And uh, that's backed up by experts in the field. So, you know, it, if you want to look at it from that perspective, it, just arguing, you know, to be in the devil's advocate and saying if it is legitimately what they claim it is, we're handling it all wrong. It shouldn't be handled in this way because it's only going to cause more harm than good. It's interesting you say that because there is an elephant in the room regarding the different countries and the way they've approached this. And it's a country we normally hear so much about. It's almost like the poster boy, certainly in this part of the world, for how a society should be run. Now, I take it with a very large grain of salt, but... Sweden is held up as that example all the time and we hear about how Sweden is the happiest country in the world, etc., etc. Now, Sweden's reaction to this has been to bar, I think, limiting gatherings of over 500 people. Everything else is running as normal. Schools are open. People are going about their daily lives as normal. Yet the flattening of the curve that we hear so much about to, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about the language and the terminology and the doublespeak that surrounds all of this. The flattening of the curve appears to be occurring at the very same rate in Sweden as any of the countries that have these so-called lockdown measures in place. Now, isn't that interesting? And isn't it also interesting, Wayne, how we're not all of a sudden hearing anything about Sweden, the golden child of how a socialist society should be run, allegedly? 
Absolutely, and that's all part and parcel with this whole thing, the whole narrative. And once again, that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt what I've said earlier. There are absolutely zero real-world epidemiological studies that prove that social distancing reduces disease, the spread of disease in any way, shape, or form. There it is, right there. There's your example. But they won't talk about that, will they? Because it mm. doesn't fit the narrative. And speaking of the narrative and how what's going on now slots into the work that you have done prior to the advent of this whole uh, mess, we touched on your book, The Alchemical Tech Revolution, but you have another extremely interesting book, The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret. And you can speak to autism better than most people and your first-hand knowledge of what, what it's actually like to experience on a daily basis. Tell us about that book, how it ties into transhumanism, Wayne, and how it ties into the narrative that we're currently sitting through. Well, basically, everything that's going on in our society right now is leading to a certain point, okay? And that point is what they call the singularity or the transhumanist singularity, okay? Okay. Uh, I discovered through my research, and uh, I'll talk about this a little bit more here so people can understand where I'm coming from. I have two children on the autism spectrum. Now, my son, uh, when he was very young, uh, he was six months old, he had a, a DTAP shot and had a very severe reaction to it, and I nearly watched him die in front of my eyes, and he has since developed autism. Now, both of my children are on what they, they would call the, the high end of the autism spectrum. They're more of an Asperger's. Uh, type case of autism, but still, uh, that doesn't make it any easier mm -hmm. from the day-to-day -day struggles with this. But uh, at any rate, I started researching autism. I wanted to learn everything there was about autism, and I discovered that uh, autism has its roots back in cybernetics. Go figure, right? Yeah. Cybernetics. So this is kind of what led me down the road. I went down, and I've discovered through various research and uh, and looking through a lot of different information that it would appear that autism is the model of humanity that they're looking for to be the most compatible to merge with artificial intelligence. And that's what this is all about. This is why uh, people like Elon Musk are out there developing things like a Neuralink device, which uh, will connect the brain with the Internet of Things and uh, – a lot of the modeling that they use for artificial intelligence is modeled after autistic intelligence. And this is all related to a model of intelligence called the VPR model of intelligence because it's been discovered that uh, people on the autism spectrum have very high visual acuity. They're very high in visual or spatial intelligence. And uh, some of their other facets of intelligence suffer in uh, direct opposition to that. Yeah. They, they tend to be more, uh, more centric on – on like visual type cues, things like that. So there's a lot of different models of, of how autistic intelligence works. And there's uh, a couple really interesting ones, one being the uh, extreme male brain theory of autism, whereas the, the brain of the autistic individual is considered to be uh, more masculine in uh, I wouldn't say necessarily a character, but more masculine in its way of operation. It thinks more in terms of linear things, and it's it's highly an unemotional thing, whereas it just thinks in forms of, of pattern recognition and things like that. It's a more visual form of intelligence. So 
this is something, once again, that relates to these different models of intelligence. And there's also different areas where it overlaps with, with other models of intelligence that go along with it, one of which being what they call the Neanderthal theory of autism. Okay, And this directly correlates back uh, different genetic uh, abnormalities within the autistic brain to the genetics of, of the Neanderthal. And this has been done through anthropological studies and such. And there's actually an entire area of science right now that is trying to push the narrative that this was a very important facet of human evolution. Okay? okay. That autism was a very important facet of human evolution going back into the ancient times. And a lot of it had to do with the interbreeding between modern man and the Neanderthals, or so they claim. But, uh, they claim that the autistic individuals within tribes were were held in high regard, okay, because they had specific skill sets that that helped the tribe overall. Mm. Uh, once again, being like the, the visual acuity kind of thing, they were uh, excellent hunters and they were good problem solvers and things like that. Even though they were highly like emotionally, like like just not not very emotional per se, or, or didn't you know respond emotionally to things like yeah. most of the others would. And that's one thing that they correlate back to Neanderthal intelligence. So like a lot of this all overlaps in a lot of different places. So this is the model they're pushing forward, okay? They're claiming that autism was a very important facet of human evolution in the past. And they claim that right now, this is not me saying this, this is anthropologists and, and, and scholars from different universities and stuff saying this. They're claiming that they think that autism is the next step in human evolution. So when you see this wow. and, and think of the, the, uh, the capacity that it is, how it's more compatible to be merged with an artificial intelligence, you can see the direction they're pushing this. Now, whether this is true or not, which, by the way, I don't believe it is, but uh, this is the direction that mainstream science is trying to push this, okay? Mm. And this ties directly into the whole transhumanist agenda and plan. And that's why we have increased numbers because when you actually break down the numbers in autism, you'll notice that currently there are more higher functioning autists than had been in the past. So that tells me that this is being steered in a particular direction. They're mm -hmm. looking to achieve – in their own words here now, I'll quote this. They're looking to achieve quote-unquote – Autism without intellectual impairment. That's their term. So this this is what they're looking for. This is what they're trying to do. And I believe that they have figured out a way to induce autism symptoms through the use of various uh, vectors, attack vectors, one of which being the vaccines. So uh, when you see the, the different correlations there going on, uh, there's a, a large body of circumstantial evidence that points that this may be the case. Now, can I prove anything scientifically for certain with this? No, I cannot. But if you follow the, the connect the dots trail from A to B to C to D to E and look to where we are today, you can see the breadcrumbs are there. The trail's really there. And uh, it all ties back once again to the, the whole cybernetics push and everything that's been planned out by these people for a long, long time. You can also see how the other trails hit a dead end. And correct me if I'm misreading this, Wayne, but my understanding of what you're saying then is, like, for example, if autism is the next step of human evolution, and let's take evolution at face value for a second here, 
surely that must be nonsense because there's nothing natural about transhumanism. So for humanity to suddenly, naturally take a course towards something that is outside of the bounds of nature, i.e. transhumanism, can only point to some sort of outcome-based operation because that's not nature at work and that has to be a dead end. Whereas, as you say, the breadcrumbs are already there for the trail that exists if people care to actually shine a light on them. Right, but that's where the transhumanists would argue with you and say that this is indeed uh, the product of evolution because they would argue that at some point man comes to the point where he will start doing what they call, quote-unquote, self-guided evolution, and that's what the transhumanist thing is all about. So they're saying this is the next step, and uh, that's that's what they would argue with you about. Uh, and this ties back to the ancient mystery school teachings once again. This is about apotheosis. Mm. Man becoming God, self-guided evolution. That's what this is about. This is what, why it all culminates once again in the ideas of alchemy or the natural sciences or all the way back to these mystery school teachings and the secret societies. This is where it all interconnects, and, and that's something people tend to overlook. But this is exactly the point that transhumanists make, that you will come to a point naturally where you can progress no further naturally, but man – where he has progressed to now has the intellect to start self-guiding his own future evolution and doing so through the use of technology. And that's what they would argue, that this is the next logical step. This is the next step in evolution for man. Yeah, it's something I personally don't buy for a minute. And I've, I mean, we hear that argument all the time. You listen to any so-called science correspondence on mainstream and it's, it's that all the time being pushed in our faces, pushed in our faces to the point where it's generally accepted as being the case. But, I mean, any kind of higher mind can tell that that's a complete put-up as well. That is completely fraudulent and doesn't operate within the bounds of the natural world or natural law, for that matter. Right, but that's also why they intend to try to build a completely artificial system. Yeah. A completely artificial world that they could control and they could exist in. They could live forever. They could control every facet of it. Um, and this all you know, boils down to transhumanism, what they want to do is they want to be able to upload their consciousness into a computer and live forever online in very many different forms, whether it be a digital avatar or, you know, whatever type of physiological body they want, mm. whatever manifestation they want to, you know, develop into within this artificial control grid and i think a good example of this is you just have to look at the movie ready player one yeah. to see kind of where the first steps of this are going to go people are going to spend most of their time in virtual reality or augmented reality and that's why there's been a heavy rollout of those technologies too this stuff's coming and this is kind of why they need to put online 5g first of all so that they could have the the data speeds to uh hook up this whole internet of things which is the big next step in things is to set up the Internet of Things with multi-billions of interconnected devices. Uh, and then uh, there will be in sometime in the, the near to very near future something. It's a subsystem of the Internet of Things called the Internet of Thoughts. And I'm not making this stuff up. This is not me. There's actual white papers and stuff discussing this stuff. Internet of Thoughts, whereas they will actually tie your consciousness uh, to a computer and uh, there will be – a hive mind, per se, that will have all the collective experience and knowledge of, of mankind for all of history uh, in this one utility. And you'll be able to upload your consciousness into a cloud. You'll be able to access anybody's uh, 
personal experiences or information uh, any time you need to. So they, they also talk about uh, um, different uh, ideas with this that are, are just totally unnatural on the face of it. But uh, the, the premise being one of the, one of the big takeaways is you could experience uh, life in someone else's shoes. Like you could know what, what they felt, like how they felt mm. at a particular time or, or actually experience their experience. And it, it's really kind of uh, one of those things. It boggles the mind to even think about. It really does. I would recommend that anybody does read the book Ready Player One or watch the movie indeed if you're that way inclined because we're seeing that now with this so-called lockdown as well that people are spending so much time in front of whatever it is, Netflix or TV. We're a step closer to that. Once you just start inserting augmented reality as we are seeing, then it's almost like the real world is too scary out there so let's stay in our own virtual worlds and why would we ever need to go out you know it's again it's like a, a prison for the mind a prison for the consciousness even and people will love their servitude to a large degree it's, to me it's absolutely terrifying right and that's the thing i mean if you follow this out to the next logical point uh, think about it here. This this is a concept called the Overton window. Okay, this is where they introduce more and more bizarre ideas in order to make them socially acceptable or, or normal per se. Uh, so what they do is they introduce this really bizarre idea, and the window shifts just a little bit closer to that idea. Mm. So here's where we're at right now. Everybody's locked in their houses, and they're getting all their information from a computer or a television, okay? So let's think about it in this way. All right, you're in your house, okay? You're not, you're not going anywhere, okay? You, didn't, you haven't gone outside, gone out in your community to see what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. You're sitting in your house. You turn on the TV. You see all this horror and devastation at the, the emergency rooms and stuff like that. And New York is completely decimated with how many thousands of deaths from this virus and stuff like that. Now, uh, had you actually gone outside in your neighborhood, your real-world experience would show something totally different from this. Well, here's the thing. You're not going out in your neighborhood. You're getting all your information from that device. That's right where they want us. Okay? So this is a part of the normalization process. You're locked inside. You get all your your information from the device. You get it all digitally. They can totally change your worldview just by doing that one thing. And that's one step closer to this whole virtual reality thing. So especially if in order to avoid that uh, that harrowing outside world experience that you don't want to have to deal with, you fall into entertainment. Okay, so you, you find comfort in entertainment. So you'll spend more and more time watching Netflix, per se. And this is one step closer. This is one move of the Overton window to that ready player one type scenario. Yeah. I mean, when you spell it out like that, it's it's so logical, really, isn't it? But it's so difficult for people when they're caught up in their own heads to actually take a step back and see the wood for the trees. Right. And that's where they have us right now. They have you in a state of confusion, first of all, because there's always profit and confusion. Mm. And that's right where they want you. They want you in this chaotic state because chaos, where there's chaos, what they'll do is eventually they'll introduce the, the, the cure or the, the solution to this problem, and they'll, they'll get order out of that chaos. Yeah. Order ob, ordo ob chaos, order out of chaos. That's one of their philosophies. So, that, you know, you're thinking in these chaotic terms. You're confused. You're scared. You're upset. You don't want to go out, and everything that's coming at you through the television is negative, and everything coming at you through the Internet is negative. 
And uh, so you try this whole escapism thing and do the entertainment thing and sit back and try and forget about your worries. And that's, that's they got you right where they watch. Yeah. So how do you see this all playing out then, Wayne? I mean, I mean, are you, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? I've no doubt we're going to have a, a very turbulent year ahead. You spoke about the economy briefly or earlier. I mean, enough damage has been done in the last few weeks already to completely derail the economy as it is. And for people to naively think that things will go back to the way they were, I just personally can't see that happening. But there have to be some green shoots for people to have a look at or focus on or try to plant and grow themselves. So how do you see the rest of the year, for example, but then further beyond that? Do you think we have options? There's definitely options. As long as uh, people are living and breathing, there's there's always options. Um, there's always hope. I don't want anybody to lose hope over this stuff. Uh, here's what I see happening. I, I'm, I'm thinking that they're going to start pulling back on this soon because the people are getting restless now. And I think they've had enough damage to the economy now that they could – start implementing certain draconian things that they want within, you know, the, the, the banking circles and such like that mm. uh, so th- that they could start doing this. So they're going to pull back, okay? But they're already putting the predictive programming out there now that there's going to be a resurgence of this. If you watch the news, yeah, they're, they're predicting there'll be a resurgence of this. So they're going to pull back now. It's going to be, oh, well, the, you know, the, 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 the quote unquote, the curve has been flattened and uh, this has dropped off. So we're going to open back up and, and begin to gradually go back to business as normal. And the reason that we were able to do this is because social distancing worked and all those measures we took to shut things down worked. And uh, we we flattened the curve with it. That's going to be the, their uh their talking point with it. Mm-hmm. So then they'll open everything back up. And then later on when there's a resurgence, that's when the total lockdown is going to come in. But I want people to know I have hope, though, because I see by and large there's a lot of people waking up to this agenda and uh, they're just not going to sit idly by and let this go on when they can see that a spade is a spade. They're going to call a spade a spade. Mm. So I, I have hope that uh, – we can turn this thing around because there's there's enough voices out there now speaking out against this stuff and saying, hey, this is not the, the truth of the reality that's going on with this. So people are going to, I think, start waking up to this largely. So we're, we're at a turning point in our history right now, whereas either we're going to just go quietly into the night or we're going to stand up and, and say no. We're not going to tolerate this anymore. And I'm thinking there's a lot of people that will come out and say, you know what? I see the illusionist's trick now. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying it because I, I see that more and more. There's people out you know, doing their normal thing rather than listening to this draconian lockdown stay in your house nonsense. People aren't going to have that. They're restless. And I think one of the big mistakes that the uh, the power players in this world made is shutting down all the sports and everything. I think that's – I agree. Uh, sadly, sadly, I think that is one of the big things that really has, has made people restless because well, you take away the bread and circuses. Well, here's the thing. You could still get the bread, but the circuses are not as plentiful. Mm. So – and that, I think, was one of their mistakes. They shut down all the sports on TV and everything. And I just see people going stir crazy about this. It's amazing just how much of a, a part of society that that whole idea is just plays in with. So it's one of those things. I think that was a point that they they kind of dropped the ball on, so to say, here. And I think that is 
probably one of our big hopes is because they dropped the ball. People are, are beginning to say, you know what? There's no sports on TV. I'm going to go look and see what's going on in the world on the internet. Hey, look at this Andy Kaufman guy talking about viruses aren't real. These are yeah. exosomes. What is this? And then they go down these rabbit holes and they discover, holy crap, I've been lied to about everything. Even even the whole flatten the curve kind of thing, that's a poke in the eye to the flat earthers. Well, I, okay? I have to say that crossed my mind as well. Yeah. It's a poke in the eye. These people, the social engineers at the highest levels, they know what they're doing. It's a poke in the eye to those of us that know what their game is. Mm. So – that's that's the whole thing. So when you start looking at this stuff more heavily because there's no sports on TV, guess what? That's a mind that woke up that probably wouldn't have woke up if the sports were still on. You're absolutely right. And I do agree. I think taking the sports away because sports are such a huge part of society pretty much everywhere at this stage. The bread is still there, but the circuses should probably have been left in place to keep people distracted because not everybody is going to watch Netflix for 16 hours a day. Right, and especially when they're running out of things to watch now because they've been <laughs> home for so long. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> and the other problem is a lot of them, they have no money to spend because they lost their job because of this. Yeah. So, And the other area they dropped the ball is, I don't know how it is over uh, in Ireland there where you are, but here uh, they supposedly passed this whole government uh, economic stimulus bill where the American people are supposed to receive this this money from the government, but guess what? It might take about two months before you get it. <laughs> they yeah. dropped the ball there. Like just like anything else that government handles, they screwed it up because, you know, like David Icke would say, it's psychopaths at the top and then idiots underneath them running things. So the idiots underneath them running things, they drop the ball. And I think that's our hope as humanity, mm-hmm. is the idiots that are running things. These people are no smarter than you and I when it comes down to it. The ones that are actually the ones uh like running point on these different agendas and stuff. The foot soldiers, so to speak. So much. Right. They're yeah. no smarter than where I. So they drop the ball on these things, and it's up to us to call it out and take advantage of those situations. And that's what I'm doing right now. I want people to understand, okay, sports is off the TV. Guess what? They drop the ball. These people are looking at things they never would have looked at before. Time to wake up those minds. And the more of us that wake up and stand up, they don't have a hope because we outnumber them thousands to one. What would you say to people who are still very afraid, who might be kind of rallied by your message, Wayne, and think, yeah, I want to do something about this. I want to stand up for myself or for my family or whatever. But they're still afraid because they need the paycheck or they need the peer group or whatever it is. I mean, do you think there's a way for people to ease out of things or is it burst open the curtains and let the sunlight in? What would your attitude to that be? Uh, I would say the longer this goes on and the more that you allow to happen – Eventually, that paycheck that you're you're looking at is going to go away because, yeah. like I said, people are begging for government to shut everything down. And if, if they do that, then that paycheck that you're still getting is going to go away. Yeah. So you have nothing to lose. Stand up. Be brave. Be strong. These are these are historic times. We can still take this back and, uh, you know. Do something positive with all of this. People are beginning to realize through this whole thing just how unprepared that they are to take care of themselves should it come down to it. Sure. Learn yeah. to be self-sufficient. Live, be able to live off-grid. Learn how to live off-grid. Plant your own food. At least do, learn how to do that so you can take care of yourself. So if all the stores and stuff do shut down, you're not totally screwed. Maybe have a supply, a, you know, a couple weeks supply of stuff on hand at, at home just in case something like this happens. 
Because I'll tell you, one of the big things that may come to fruition through this or some future advent of something similar to this is the power grid will go offline. And if that happens, there's a lot of people that won't be able to function without it. So they'll be going right down to the local FEMA camp or whatever it is yeah. to, to go get help. So if you could sustain yourself, live off grid, be able to s- sustain yourself, that's a skill that uh, might be essential to a future without tyranny. I think so. And mentioning FEMA camps and the likes, these things haven't been built for no reason. They're not there as ornamentation on the landscape. They're there with every intent of being used for whatever purpose. And when you see the barbed wire facing inwards rather than outwards, that tells a story in itself. So not to be defeatist about things. I I, I think we should all be looking to avoid going anywhere near a place like that. And the advice that you've given there is good practical advice, because even when it comes to growing food, you can grow a lot of food in a very, very small space, even indoors, even on a balcony, if that's the only space that you have. And if you've got food, that's one of the most important pieces of the jigsaw. If the shit was to really hit the fan, there'll be a lot of people who literally won't know how to function. But if you can, suddenly, suddenly you're a very wealthy person in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when it comes down to it, uh, all these other things aren't going to matter. At the end of the day, yeah. when the economy tanks... That paper currency in your wallet's not going to amount to anything. Exactly. So, you know, all your money in the bank that you're not going to be able to access is not going to do you any good. So yeah, you got to remember the real world is different from this uh, illusory world that we live in and are presented with all the time. Your, your bank account, those digits in your bank account, that's illusory. That's part of the illusion. Yeah. They could take that away at any time and you could be left, you know – to fend for yourself without that. And and this is a perfect example of that. You, you go to work to your wage slave job every day to just to get this paper money so that you could pay these bills to these creditors that are imaginary things, these corporations that don't exist in physical reality. It's not a real person or a real thing. Yeah, It's a name on a piece of paper. And yet you're paying them your, your imaginary money that you go to your, your, your slave wage job for think about it. I mean, if you look at it from a logical thing, there's nothing in the real natural world that's going on here. It's all based on illusion, all of it. And they're they're bringing that illusion crashing down right now because they want to put in the new program, the new world order. That's what it's about. I think so. And I think there will be many people who have listened to you speak for the last hour and a half or so, Wayne, who would like a further dose of reality. So can you tell us about your books and how people can get access to more of your work, please? Yeah, sure. That'd be great. Uh, I have two books out currently. You could get them on Amazon or at pretty much any other fine book retailer at this point. My first book is called The Alchemical Tech Revolution, Fulfilling Ancient Esoteric Agendas Through the Use of High Technology. And my more recent book is called The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret. Uh, I'm currently working on my third book right now, which is called Cybernetic Messiah, Building the Antichrist System. So that should be out sometime this summer. And uh, I was going to release it in the springtime here, uh, but uh, with everything, all the current events going on, I had to include it in there because it just ties together so many loose ends. Yeah. So I pushed back release date till sometime this summer. I still don't have a definitive release date for that, but that'll be coming out soon, too. Uh, also, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I could be reached at alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com, or I have a Facebook page called Files from the Conspiratorium. They could check it out there. Uh, I also do a weekly live stream 
on Secrets of Saturn YouTube channel with my ho- my co-host Jason Lingren. We do uh, a weekly uh, live broadcast from that, and that that also uh, simulcasts on the Fringe FM. If people want to check that radio station out too, it's a digital radio station. Uh, that happens 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night. We do that on Secrets of Saturn. Also, uh, I'm a frequent guest and contributor on Crow777Radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777Radio.com. Uh, and we have a big episode we're recording tomorrow, which uh, pretty much shows this whole COVID-19 thing for what it is, the fraud that it is, and points out that uh, covid when you, you realize words have meaning, mm-hmm. COVID could be broken down to C, the letter C, but instead of the letter C, think of that as the word C, yep. as in S-E-E, Ovid, Ovid, the philosopher, the Roman philosopher. So are we talking about writer. metamorphosis, etc. here? We're talking about metamorphosis, yes. Wow. Crow <laughs> uh, and I have independently of each other discovered that we really think that that's the playbook that the elite are using to base these things on. So we're going to make an argument for that. We're recording that tomorrow. So uh, I'm sure that'll be coming probably sometime within the next week or so. So people could check that out over at Crow 777 Radio. Fantastic. Well, your work is, I mean, I can't recommend it highly enough. And one of the things actually I really like about Secrets of Saturn is you take quite a lighthearted approach to some heavy information and it's presented in a way that isn't often the norm for the kind of information that you are presenting. And that's very, very refreshing. I mean, sometimes it can, the information can be quite heavy if we're consuming a lot of it. And just to have that lighthearted feel and the fact that yourself and Jason, your co-host, are friends and clearly have a good personal relationship really comes across on air. And it's, it's very, it's fun to listen to as well as being an absolute treasure trove of vital, properly discerned, higher-minded information. So uh, thank you for the work that you do, Wayne. Well, thanks for having me on, John. It's been a real pleasure to be here. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Wayne McCroy, thank you so much for joining me on Alchemy. I really hope we can do this again sooner rather than later. Yeah, man, just reach out. I'm there. Alchemy, 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 Alchemy. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Alchemy. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've gained value from the work that we do at some point in the past or currently. Some more shows coming in the next few weeks and some very interesting ones indeed. I'll give you more details of the guests on social media over the next while, so keep an eye out on our Twitter, Facebook, or all the usual places. If you want to make a donation and help keep us afloat, you can do so. The usual links are on the website. So until next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy. Care. Will. Intelligence. Imagination. Alchemy.
children. The only way to walk through fire is to become fire.
alchemy, 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 alchemy.